Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Here's what I reckon is one of the most significant but tricky aspects of the human condition. Forgiveness. We all like to be forgiven, but how hard is it to do so ourselves? Maybe you've been hurt by someone who wants your forgiveness, or maybe you're the offender and you need someone else to forgive you. So how does forgiveness happen? Why do we forgive? Why is it actually unhealthy not to forgive? And how is this question informed by Christian faith, the Bible? Author and psychologist Everett Worthington has written about what I reckon is a huge question in How Do I Forgive? Everett takes this on way beyond the theoretical. He himself has had to get past the pain of his own mother's murder and make the decision to forgive. Everett joins us now from the United States. Everett, welcome to Open House. Good to be with you, Lee. Thanks so much. As I said, it's such a tricky topic. It's hard to tell someone they need to forgive, but there are so many positives that come from it. Right. Uh, We treat forgiveness as uh, being something that people need to be willing to do. We try not to force forgiveness on anyone or or imply that someone should forgive. There are lots of ways to deal with injustices besides forgiveness, and uh, and so people have a lot of uh, a lot of options. But forgiveness does have a lot of benefits. How do you say that not forgiving causes, as you say in the uh, booklet, bitterness, anger, and poor physical health? Right. Well, we have done a. Uh, a large review of the literature uh, on forgiveness and health-related effects. And so we found that people who hold grudges and kind of stay upset every time they think about uh, a wrong that was done to them uh, and make this a a habitual way of, uh, of life, uh, those people end up with higher risk for cardiovascular events. Uh, they end up with uh, a, a compromised immune system. Basically, feeling unforgiving is a stress. It keeps people all cranked up, uh, and it keeps cortisol, a, a neurohormone, flowing around in people's blood. And that can affect every system of the body. It can shrink the size of people's brain, reduce their sex drive, uh, affect their digestion, their cardiovascular system. Their, you know, just kind of one thing after another. So, lots of different mechanisms for affecting the health. Uh, holding a grudge is not a good thing. And yet, you wouldn't underestimate the difficulty and the challenge of truly forgiving. I think forgiving is uh, is very, very hard. People who say it's easy, uh, I think they probably haven't practiced it much. Uh, it, it's a very difficult thing to do. How would you define that process then? If I come to a circumstance in my life where I've got a clear decision, a clear fork in the road, do I forgive this person or do I just continue on in my perhaps justifiable anger at them? How do mm-hmm. I do it? There are actually two different processes or events that happen. One of these is to make a decision to forgive. This is a decision about how I'm going to act 
toward the person in the future. I'm not going to get uh, revenge on them, and I'm going to treat them as a valued person. So we call that decisional forgiveness. But I can make a decision to forgive someone and still be very hurt, very angry, still ruminate uh, about the event. And um, and so th- that suggests that there's a second type of forgiveness that is a more emotional process. It takes longer. It's harder to do uh, usually. And it's about uh, kind of undoing the negative emotions and replacing those with some more positive emotions toward the person, like feeling empathy or sympathy or compassion or even love uh, if it's a person that, uh, say, a spouse that has hurt one, uh, love could replace the hurt. So it will take time, and it can often take time. How long? Well, I don't think there's any uh, given amount of time. So sometimes uh, it can happen very quickly, but mostly people seem to have to wrestle with it. Now, we've actually done studies on how long on the average uh, it takes to forgive. And this is kind of technical, but uh, for about a solid hour of really trying to uh, change your emotions by forgiving the person emotionally, uh, people will forgive about one-tenth of a standard deviation. So to put that into some kind of everyday meaning, uh, if a person goes to psychotherapy for like six months, they usually will change their mental status, their, their, their emotional state by about eight-tenths of a standard deviation. So if a person then were trying to really forgive someone for about eight hours, they could have pretty much the same impact of, uh, of you know, doing psychotherapy for a, a long period of time. And what are the thought processes that are going to be necessarily going on in my head about that person as I undertake that process? Well, there will be a lot of thoughts that I might have about the person. One of the things that my mind is automatically computing is what I call the injustice gap. That is, I'm kind of weighing how much hurt I experienced. And if the person apologizes for what he or she did to me, well, that that narrows that injustice gap. It makes it easier to forgive. If the person offers to to make some kind of restitution to, to undo the harm that was done, that again, that narrows the gap even more. But on the other hand, if the person is uh, kind of hardened or if the person hurts me again, that's going to increase the gap. So a lot of you know how long the event the process happens what's going on during the process a lot of that is going to be determined by the continuing interactions that people might have with the person who hurt them sometimes there's no interactions you know i could forgive my father who's dead i'm not going to have interactions with him in that case I'm going to be thinking through 
probably a series of steps that uh, five steps that help me reach forgiveness. So it's much, much more than just saying to someone, oh, I forgive you. So you say <laughs> that neither decisional nor emotional forgiveness equals actually saying those three words, I forgive you. Right. Uh, see, both decisional forgiveness and emotional forgiveness happen inside my skin. So a decision I make inside my head, uh, my my emotional change is inside my body. But but when I say I forgive you to someone, that's a, an interpersonal act. And we all know people who have said, oh, I forgive you. And it's really just to throw you off, to put you off guard so that they might stab you in the back or get you back uh, later. So so saying I forgive you is not the same thing as forgiving, and, and we should not always think it is. We have to judge the person's character. Do you think that in the age in which we live, where so much is centered around me, I'm number one, that the problem of forgiveness today is more challenging than it has been in the past when we perhaps would have been more outward looking for other people well it's possible but i guess i have a a view of human nature that probably thinks we haven't changed that much (laughs) (laughs) so uh, i'm not that optimistic that it was ever very easy uh so i i think forgiveness is just it's it's hard work it's hard to do and and we, you know, we struggle with it. And I, I think often it's just a real gift if we can experience an emotional change and and also make that decision to change. Oh, yes. On Open House, we're speaking with author, psychologist Everett Worthington. He's the author of How I Forgive. Everett, can I ask you about your experience with your mum's tragic murder? What happened there? Sure. Um uh, it uh, it happened obviously very sudden on a New Year's Eve. Probably it was a young man uh, waiting to break into the home, and uh, and thinking that the people who were there were gone. Uh, my mother had gone to bed early, and uh, and so and she did not wake up when he broke the the window to get into the house. So. You know, it was a kind of a burglary that had gone wrong uh, as she came out of her bedroom and probably confronted the young man in the hall. And he was still holding a a crowbar, a metal crowbar that he had used to break the window to get in the, the back of the house. And he you know, obviously did not have impulse control. He wouldn't be breaking into a house if, if he had. And uh, and he just uh, kind of lost it and hit uh, my mom repeatedly until she she died. So so that was a a very difficult event to forgive. Um, I was very uh, I think very blessed to be able to forgive it relatively quickly. Uh, I say relatively quickly because you know I can remember myself. Uh, receiving a B from a, a, a professor in graduate school and holding a grudge against him for like 10 years and requiring uh, uh, like a religious experience to get over it. And yet here in this 
very large murder, uh, I was able to forgive fairly quickly. So this kind of shows that there's no pattern that we can always count on, that, that forgiving comes to us as we try to forgive, and, uh, but, but we can't always tell exactly how or how long. So tell us about the process that you undertook. How were you able to forgive that uh, young man? We have uh, developed a method of uh, treating uh, people uh, or helping people forgive. Uh, we use it in groups and also with individual counseling or with couples. And, and we call it five steps to reach forgiveness. When I was wrestling with my own struggles, uh, uh, having just been so filled with rage that I, I had at one point pointed to a baseball bat and said, I wish whoever did that were here, I would, I would beat his brains out, I would kill him. Uh, I was I was wrestling with this rage, and I started thinking, here I am, a person who has helped people forgive in counseling, who has studied forgiveness, who has developed a method that has been studied in 22 published studies, half from us and half from other people all over the world, and has been shown to be effective. Let me try that method myself. I tried it on kind of small events, but never a big event. And so I I started tracing through that method to help me reach forgiveness. So R in that method is to recall the hurt. And E is to recall it in such a way that I perhaps can empathize uh, with the person who, who did the wrong. So what I did was I started thinking about what it must have been like for the young man who is maybe crouched out in the front of the house thinking, this is going to be a perfect crime. I'm going to just waltz in while these people are away at New Year's Eve, and and I'll take everything that's valuable and, and be away long before they get home after midnight. And so... He's all keyed up, and he breaks in. And then when my mother came out of the room unexpectedly and um, and confronted him, he, he must have turned around and looked at her and, and thought something like, this is wrong. This was supposed to be a perfect crime. This old woman is messing up my perfect crime. He's filled with anger. He realizes she's looking right at him. He's probably thinking, I'm going to go to jail. So he's afraid. And that anger and fear rises up in him. And with not having good impulse control, he he reaches out and and hits with that uh, crowbar. As As I thought through that, you know, that night that I was working through this reach process, I flashed back to that moment where I stood in the in the room and pointed at that baseball bat and said, I wish that whoever did that were here. I would take that bat and hit him in the head until he died. And I could not help but think, wait a minute, whose heart is darker here? This young man who has an impulse control problem, who's afraid, who's angry, 
or me, a psychologist, 48 years old at the time, who, you know, has had a, a long amount of time to think about it, and yet is is himself willing to hit this guy in the head till he dies. And I thought, my heart is darker than his. And so I was able at that point to realize that I could be forgiven if I just went to God and confessed my darkness of heart, I could be forgiven. And I thought, if I could be forgiven for such a darkness of heart myself, who was I to hold this against this young man? And I was able to give him an altruistic gift of forgiveness. So so this R is recall the hurt. E is to emotionally replace the negative with the positive emotions like empathy for the person. A is give an altruistic gift. And then C is to commit to whatever forgiveness I experience. And so I was able to tell my brother and sister about it. I was able to talk about the forgiveness uh, later that week and commit to what I'd experienced. And that helped me then hold on to that experience in other times when trial was taking a, 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 a judicial proceedings were taking place and it, it was not going the way that that I thought it ought to go. So I was able to hold on. So that's the REACH model, R-E-A-C-H, recall, emotionally replace, altruistic gift, commit to the forgiveness, and then hold on. Which is a very helpful and neat and no doubt psychologically appropriate formula, but that doesn't mean it's not a hard thing to do. Right. It's really easy to say that. I could say it. (laughs) You know, you you see at the end there, I said it in about 25 seconds. Uh, But it, it usually takes a long time and a lot of struggle. And it's two steps forward and one step back. So it, it is hard, very hard to do. In terms of forgiveness, we have to say that the ultimate example of that is the life and the death of Jesus, culminating in his resurrection from the dead. He gave his life for us, quite simply. Right. And, and that, of course, was what really helped me when I got to that crucial moment of of seeing that you know, I had my own darkness of heart, and in in my heart, I wanted to kill that guy, and and yet I knew that that sin that I had had been taken care of, and had been paid for, and and I could accept that mercy, and and then pass that mercy on to someone else who didn't deserve it. But I didn't deserve to be forgiven either. You also say that we have to be able to forgive ourselves. What do you mean by that, and how do we do that? I actually think forgiving ourselves can be harder than forgiving another person because we can get away from the other person. We can't get away from ourselves. Also, you know, we're both, we're kind of operating from the point of view of we are the forgiver, but we're also somebody who probably did wrong, you know, and and that's why we're trying to forgive ourselves. We feel self-condemnation. You know, I felt 
this condemnation that followed after my mom's murder. My my brother eventually committed suicide because he could not get the image of her body out of his mind. He he walked in with his young son and discovered her body. And then he committed suicide a, a number of years later because of PTSD. Well, I had not been able to help him, even though I knew kind of how I should be helping him. But I I got triggered by some family dynamics, as we all are prone to do. Yes. And, and that stopped me from doing what I know how to do as a clinical psychologist, and and I just kind of gave up on him, and then he committed suicide shortly after that. So then I had to wrestle with how do I forgive myself, and the way that I think about it is the first thing that I do is I, I have to... Um, go to God and receive God's forgiveness uh, for my wrongdoing. I, I then have to try to um, to repair any damage to relationships that have been done. You know, my poor decision damaged my relationship with Mike's widow and with his son. And and also with Mike, of course, but I couldn't do anything about that because he was he was dead. So that was a very frustrating thing. Fortunately, he left a suicide note and and asked me to straighten out their family finances because he had left it in great disarray, and that gave me something to kind of make some kind of social amends because I had received the forgiveness from God, and and I wanted to pass along that benefit by, by you know, dealing with the, the wrongs that I had done. The next thing I have to do is I have to reduce the rumination that uh, that I've been experiencing with this self condemnation. I have to kind of stop thinking so negatively. I have to deal with unrealistic expectations that somehow I had the power to change Mike enough to stop that suicide when he was very depressed. And then I have to reach forgiveness of myself. I have to go through that R-E-A-C-H and try to forgive myself uh, for uh, the wrong that I did. And, And then I... I, you know, I'm not finished at that point, but I, I need to uh, to accept myself, even though I've done wrong. I, to accept myself as someone flawed, and yet still precious, and and that can be harder than forgiving ourselves. The last thing that I need to do is resolve to live a virtuous life to not make these kind of mistakes again and yet give myself space to fi- to fail because I'm not perfect and I don't want to get into perfection type expectations again. So that's a, a kind of a six steps to self-forgiveness. I like to think it's six steps but and that kind of says it's a harder thing. It's It's yes. got extra things I have to do when I am trying to deal with my own self-condemnation. And yet when it works, there is such power in it. And there is such wisdom in the whole concept of 
exploring how I forgive. I said at the start, it's one of the most critical elements of the human condition and yet one of the most challenging. I've really been so grateful for your thoughts and uh, wisdom and uh, sharing them with us on Open House. Everett Worthington, thank you so much indeed for sparing us the time. It was my pleasure to be with you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.